0: Well, your face away from the mic when you do that.
1: Okay. Yuck.
0: Oh. <laughs> Hold
1: on. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Are you done? Yes.
0: Hello listeners. Thanks for tuning in again. Um, today's guest is somebody that, uh, early on in our, uh, relationship, we both connected on mental health. And since then it's been something that's wildly important to both of us so much so that she has dedicated her career to helping, uh, others with mental health issues. Uh, so uh, please welcome today's guests and also my wife, Kim Duke. Hello. Hi, Kim Duke.
1: Hey, Chris Duke.
0: Now, um, what, what made you want to start working in the mental health field?
1: I think my own depression and anxiety and not understanding it and not feeling like I was being heard. Um, when I was really young, I had stomach ulcers. Um, I had a lot of stomach problems, and a lot of it stemmed from anxiety.
0: Do you know how that works? How that relationship between, like, ulcers and anxiety? No,
1: uh, it's the acid in my stomach. I was constantly worried. So something about this, I don't know.
0: You know what I mean? I've yeah. never even thought to look into that, but...
1: Yeah, so something about that, and it happened a lot around when my parents were having problems in their relationship. And so then, like, I had a lot of, I complained a lot about my stomach. Um, And then depression came on after my anxiety. Um, And then, obviously, situational things happen. And then lots of thoughts and not wanting to be alive. Um, So I was still trying to figure out that. And then that's when I thought, maybe I do want to work in this field. I just didn't know what I wanted to do in it. So I thought about being a psychologist. I thought about being a psychiatrist. And then... um,
0: Well, I thought there was an individual that you had met. Yes,
1: that's where I'm getting. Oh, sorry. So then... um, So I thought about those things prior to the event that led to me into the area I went to. Um, I kind of thought about nursing a little bit because I was a nursing assistant. And then I had a suicide attempt... Um, I wasn't hospitalized after my first suicide attempt. And then I continuously had thoughts and I had a plan. My mom took me to the doctor. I got admitted. Um, And it was a really, it was a surreal feeling. And then I couldn't sleep. And this nurse sat and talked to me all night long. And didn't talk to me like, you're a patient, I'm a nurse. Just like sat down and had a real conversation with me. Because we didn't talk about mental health at my house. It was right. everywhere in my house. Everyone struggled with something, but we didn't talk about it. Um, so I felt like I was losing my mind. I couldn't understand all these feelings I was feeling all the time. And this nurse just sat with me, honestly, all night long. I don't even know if I slept. It just made me feel like I'm a person. Yeah. The things I was feeling, I'm not the only person who feels these things. It um, was crazy as... Being on that inpatient unit, I was with all these kids who essentially none of their parents or anyone wanted anything to do with them. My mom was the only parent that came and visited the whole time I was there. Um, but so that night I talked to that nurse and the next day um, the psychiatrist met with me and we were talking and he was trying to gather why, like what led me to be there, all that. Um, and then he said something and it just like something switched in my head and I was like, all right. This is where I'm going to work. I'm oh, gonna I see. am going to work in this field. Well, he said something very profound, and it, it's silly to think of now, but he just, as a teenager, you have tunnel vision and nothing, you can't see anything past this tunnel vision. And he said, did you know that when you're dead, you're dead forever? And essentially, I didn't want to die. I just wanted all these feelings to stop. And I thought that was the way to get it to stop. But I forgot that. After that, there was nothing left if I stopped that. And like I cared a lot about my younger brother and trying to protect him and all these things that it's like, I just wanted these feelings to stop. So when he said that, you know, we had a really good conversation. My mom came and picked me up and that was when I was like, all right, I'm going to be a mental health nurse.
0: Yeah. I mean, that that's a lot like when people say they just want to silence the noise. Yeah. Yeah. It is a crazy thing to think about. Um, you'd mentioned that, um, that there were parents that didn't really want to come and see their kids in this situation. Do you, did you find that common, um, when you were working with Mm -hmm. youth and adolescents?
1: Um, yes and no. Um, there were just some kids that essentially get put in, I don't know what happens with their you know, obviously they're taken away from their biological parents for whatever reason and they get put oh. into foster homes. Okay. And I think a lot of times, obviously there's these this trauma that happens as a child, which is what leads you to get taken out of your home, then you don't know how to cope with things like healthy. So these kids have behaviors because they don't know how to cope with all these feelings that they have. And then these foster families, I mean, some of them are really great. I'm not downing on foster families, but some families don't know how to manage those behaviors. And then they end up in, you know, inpatient units and they're, they're kind of there and they don't get visitors. And it, it is sad. It reminds me a lot of when I worked in the nursing home on like memory care units and how they almost get forgotten because they don't remember their family members. So I don't know if family members feel like they don't need to visit because grandma doesn't remember who I am anyway. Yeah. It's like these kids. It's like, yeah, I was a foster parent to them for three months, but really I didn't mean anything to them. It's like,
0: oh, but, I see what you're saying. You know, With the, when you're, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia and stuff like that, I feel like it also hurts Yeah, that, you know, you can't really do anything to yeah. change the situation. So I wonder if that's part of it too, is like, they feel like they've already given up, And they've kind of failed this kid and maybe it hurts to to go and see them. And
1: I'm not trying to judge that situation at all. I can't even imagine. But it's being a worker, working with those kids, it's also sad because you do, like I did feel guilty when my mom came to visit me and she came and sat with me for hours and you look around and none of these other, not a single other kid that was on the unit with me had a visitor. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not any more special than any of these other kids.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that is a, a weird feeling. But it's it, that's an interesting point because, like, there are people that feel like th- um, the burden that they were trying to alleviate by ending their life, now they're feeling a different kind of burden. But really you should be, and like, like you were saying, like looking around and being like, well, it's all, it's all like, it's not fair to these other people or, yeah. cause I had a little bit of that when, you know, especially at the, the treatment center, like there were people that, you know, we had to walk that, that uh, hallway and there were people that would just always stay on our wing because they knew nobody was coming and, mm. and he, not that you have to rub it in these people's faces but um acknowledging and like embracing that support group yeah rather than like kind of uh, retreating and being more reserved like really like that's a that's a good first step is to be like i accept that i have this yeah. this this really delicate thing because yeah not not everybody has it yeah and, Something I say on here all the time is like I, how insanely lucky I, I having like 18 people on deck just ready to yeah. to help out is not not always the case.
1: And I think I have that in me because as complicated as my mom and my relationship has been growing up, she was always that one person that was there, you know, right. she, I didn't call her and ask her to come visit me. She figured out when visiting time was and she just came. When I was waiting to get admitted to the unit, we sat in the yard together for hours and hours and she was just there. It was was never a... That's just what she did. So in my life, that's just what I do for people that I care about or I love. It's like visiting you twice a week at the treatment center wasn't a big deal. It was like, yeah, that's just what we do. That's part of our day now. Or like when you were on the inpatient unit, it was like we visited twice a day because that's just... That's what we do. Let's now we make that a part of our day because that's important to us.
0: But I don't know. There's people that, like you were saying, like maybe they make it for a little bit, but then uh, you know they they think that they what more do they have to offer beyond just showing up? Not realizing that like, showing up is a huge part yeah, of it. Just
1: the presence of somebody. It's not like we always showed up and we would talk about your treatment or what. You like when you were in the inpatient unit, we didn't always sit there and be like, oh, what did you learn today about your mental health? We were just there. Yeah. We were just talked about our days.
0: Talked about our days or just random yeah. whatevers. And not that you have to talk either. Yeah. I get that there's people that are, you know, not, not big talkers. So just sitting there, I don't know, with a deck of cards or something, like it doesn't take any, it doesn't always have to be a profound thing when somebody comes in. Yeah. I think is another thing because I I think people do feel that pressure, like that when I go in today, I'm going to say something that's going to turn it all around for them. Yeah. And
1: that might not always be the case. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think that's another underlooked thing when it comes to mental health. I mean, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the thought that as soon as they leave the hospital, everything's all better. We took care of the thing, no. and but
1: if you say someone gets hospitalized with a heart attack,
0: no, yeah, I'm saying, oh, d-
1: but people feel, yeah, yeah, like,
0: yeah, people feeling that way,
1: um, like patients or families, families. I think, yeah, I think, I think mental health's a hard thing for people to understand because there's no blood test. You, you know, you can't. Start a medication and take a blood test and know it's getting better. You know, like with blood pressure medication, you take a medication, check your blood pressure and you can tell that it's working. I think it's really hard for people to understand that some meds take time and there's not like meds aren't always just the answer. Like there's other things, therapy and all that. I think it's just hard for people to wrap around because we live in a society where we're constantly moving so fast that we want the quick fix. Right. I mean, we see all the time, plastic surgeries, all this quick fix stuff. And it's like, but mental health, it's not a quick
0: fix. Well, and usually when somebody leaves the hospital, their surgery's done, their whatever's done. Yeah. They Now yeah. we get to leave all that shit behind. And, you know, if there's stitches or something, like there's little stuff that, but that's, that's like an afterthought. It's mm-hmm. not a huge deal. The main thing is all done now. So like people think that just like that the person's going to remember their time in there and be like, I don't want to go back there again. But really it's It's
1: providing a safe environment for the time being until they can figure things out, what's going to help out patient, you know, just getting that immediate crisis settled Mm -hmm. and figuring out what other things we can provide for your next transition.
0: Do you remember starting? Cause what was the first like mental health job you had?
1: Probably when I worked in the nursing home, I mean, it was a memory care unit, but that's kind of meant, can be mental healthy. It was probably my.
0: But I mean, your, your, your strategy is all mental health versus when you're in the nursing home, you are like changing out shit and.
1: Yeah. Like straight mental health. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Probably when I was that behavioral health aide while I was in nursing school.
0: Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, because you had like a couple of kids, right?
1: Yep. I worked with kids um, and I had a treatment plan that a um, social work therapist would put together and I would have to go into the home and work on things with these kiddos.
0: Okay. So it was like a checklist that you're...
1: Uh, yeah, they had goals. They had treatment goals. Um,
0: is that when IEP is?
1: No, an IEP is a school thing. Oh, okay. Um, no, it was just like a treatment plan. Okay. And I go in and say, for example, like a kid had issues with anger. So my goal would be to go in and play a game with this kid and not necessarily let them win and make them angry. And then to work on the skills to make them not angry anymore.
0: Interesting.
1: So it was a lot of play therapy. And I'm not a therapist, but I was an aide to kind of I was given tools mm-hmm. and I go into the home work on whatever their thing was. A lot of it was anger, emotions, regulating emotions. And then use the tools in my bucket to try and regulate those emotions.
0: Okay. Um, I mean, so do you, okay. I don't, maybe that's not the best example, but, but maybe, um, when it comes to like, do you recall what you thought mental health work was going to be like versus what it, um, like, how you actually operate. Does so that make sense? Like, the when you're going through school, you're imagining, I'm going to go and make a difference and change things. And, like, when you actually got, you know, boots on the ground, do you remember, like, being shook about how different it was? than? You, I'm wording it in kind of a weird so, way. but.
1: And then I did my clinicals at the NOCA Treatment Center, which is a little different. That's a longer-term, like... How um, placement? A lot of times, there's um, people from jails or and all that. They're really ill. They're really mentally ill in these longer term facilities. So that was another. So then I had this kiddo situation, and then I had this adult situation, and I was like, I think I want to work with kiddos because I feel like you can intervene earlier. So I was like, great, this is gonna be awesome. I'm gonna be a mental health nurse in child and adolescence and I'm gonna make a huge difference because I am. I'm going to be in there and intervene early and it's not, it's, I think kids are harder Mm. because it's sad. Oh, yeah. Because there are things that you can't fix. Home situations. I can't fix any of that, which is hard. And that tunnel vision. It's so hard to get kids to see past this. And I remember because I was that kid too. So I thought. I've been there before. I saw like this. I'm going to be able to get to these kids. But you also can't share anything personal about yourself. Right. So you have to develop appropriate boundaries. So how do I get to these kids when they think I'm just this jerk who went to school to be a nurse and I don't really care about them. But when in reality I have that lived experience, but I can't share that because it's not a it's not appropriate. It's not therapeutic to share your lived experience with especially kids.
0: Oh well, with kids sure
1: Um, So when I got my foot down I was, I was that New nurse fresh out of school I'm going to make this big difference And it was like a kick in the face Kick in the face kick in the face Because it was just like things that you could not fix And that was tough You would see kids get better mm-hmm. um, You would get letters when kids would leave And how they improved But then you also You deal with kids that don't make it and that's tough because you go back to when you were that kid and that one psychiatrist told you that thing that made you see the end of the tunnel and like no I'm gonna I have things I want to live for and then you know when you took care of a kid they left and then they ended their life by suicide it's like what if I could have said the one thing that was helpful what if I did share my story and that was it but then it's like that you you can't there's just it's hard because yeah and you see movies and you're like oh maybe it'll be it's yeah
0: yeah i that's one thing that i i noticed and um when people would say like i should go into counseling or i should do xyz like the i i can't deal with like the concept of like when when it's okay or like just it's not okay to like completely open yourself up to a person yeah because that's my like i I'm, i've done it that's the
1: codependency in you too
0: yeah for sure um but i i also don't i've never gotten somebody to open up by just like doing surface level stuff you know what I mean?
1: So that's a skill I definitely learned. And you have to learn it quick. Because um, walking up to a kid and being like, hey, what would you rate your suicidal thoughts at today? <laughs> Zero, me and none, 10, meaning and like they won't stop. It's like having to have that conversation. Tr- Thankfully, I have children. So
0: you're saying like tone and body language?
1: Yeah. But it's like I wouldn't walk and start the conversation with that. I'd be like, oh, hey, oh. my name's Kim. I'm your nurse today. How's it going? And try and get to a music. Music's always been my thing. I always ask kids about music and I don't know a lot of the music, but then there were kids that would kind of listen to the same genre I would. So we could kind of get on a level where I'm like, oh, do you like going to concerts? And then once you build that rapport, I'm also not sharing anything personal about myself. Don't really share, like, my favorite band of all time is this. You know, this is the kind of music that. I think it sounds good. What kind of music do you like? Oh, and then it's like once you break that barrier of I'm a human, you're a human, then they're more apt to be like, yeah, this is kind of how I'm feeling today. And they see you as a person and not just this person walking around asking these same questions over and over and like you don't care. Like they're just a number. That makes sense. That was a really long answer. No,
0: that's that's yeah, I, I see like. My Yeah, kind of the the reason that I do it is or that I do it my way is because my thought process is probably like I want this person to feel like they have a friend. Yeah. Versus what you're doing, which is
1: I just wanna be a person. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily So somebody a who's of use and is yeah. gonna be there to help them.
0: Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah that makes sense. And it, it yeah, that makes sense towards my codependency brain is the fact that when I when I say I don't want this person to feel alone, I want them to connect with me on a like a personal level quickly because I, I need them to know that like I'm on their team. Yeah. And so yeah, even I mean even though I'm not I'm, there's people that I'm not going to you know, m- might not ever meet again, but like, it's always my. I've gotten so used to it now, doing it that way. Yeah. But yeah, it makes total sense as to why it is that I, my brain thinks that way. So <sighs> very good, Kim Duke. Look yeah. at you, mental healthing me while You're I'm always mental healthing you. Yeah. Um. So, when, when you were working with kids, I mean, was it was it traumatic? Oh, yeah. Working through, having to work through that stuff.
1: Yeah. um, Because you hear awful stories and then you're a mandated reporter and things happen with that where you have to report things. It's just sad to know that these kids, like kids, like I, I watch true crime stuff. I'm obsessed with that. I hear, I listen to these horrific stories, but then you meet it in real life and you're like, how can this happen to this child? And I think what was the hardest was coming home and having kids because I love the crap out of these kids and I could not imagine them having that like these experiences that these other kids had. Um, And so that was probably the hardest thing is just the stories you would hear and knowing it's happening in real life. I'm not watching it a show where it does happen in real life somewhere else, but I can separate myself from it. But you, then you're sitting yeah. with that child and you hear these things and you're like, no, these, these children are, they're, we're supposed to be the, you know, as adults, we're supposed to be fostering and caring and providing for these children. And I mean, there's situations that happen where they're not getting that. And that's tough. Cause I'm a fixer. I want to fix mm-hmm. things. And when you can't fix things, then you feel defeated. And it was a lot of going home feeling like, I don't think I made a difference today.
0: Well, yeah, I, I would imagine you hit dead ends because there's when you in instances where you do want to go the extra mile, I'm sure you have to hand things off. Like, I'm sure there's things that a social worker is supposed to do that you're not supposed yeah. to do. And oh, yeah. Yeah. So that whole like there's there's like red tape where you're not you just there. Yeah, that's that's got to suck.
1: Yeah, like you. would I mean, and I'm not saying that working in child and adolescence is the worst thing ever. I loved it. I love I still love kids. I still love working with kids, too. It's just a different type of hard than adults are, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and I still have passion in both areas. I I still love working with kids. It's just like having to learn to work with them without taking that home was you learn. I learned that real quick but it's hard as a parent I think too and being a nurturer and nurse being a nurse are like you go to nursing school you're like I'm gonna make a difference I'm gonna help these people and then it's just hard when it's like it's not like a quick you make a difference like you're with this these kids for a few days and you finally start making improvements sometimes not sometimes they're there a little longer and it's just like learning how to work with that when all my clinicals besides my psych rotation all my clinicals is like oh i was on a med surg unit and i did all these things and great that person's gonna go home tomorrow Mm. not that i made the difference it's medications and all these other therapeutic things but i provided those medications you know
0: well yeah 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 um i think with with working with adults too you're not you're you're not necessarily relying on um the parent to be a good person yeah like with the kids you 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 do have to you know you, you have to give them back to their parents or back to their foster parents and be like please be good people yeah And i'm not
1: saying and i now it sounds bad because i'm not now it seems like i'm dogging all of these i've had oh, no, i no, no, mean no, no. i had I'm, kids that had like mine i mean i didn't have the greatest home life either but it wasn't bad but i still struggle with anxiety and depression you know they're
0: i'm what i was meaning to say was not that's not implying that they're all bad parents it's just that's out of your hands yeah whereas when you're working with adults it's like this is you're not playing telephone this is this is the main yeah the main person yeah I would I, in most and instances, the responsibility probably.
1: with adults is a lot relies really on them
0: right, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: and the trauma that they've experienced, they can talk about now in kind of process, whereas kids don't look at their traumas the same way
0: i mean like are there uh, you know like there's adult support groups and stuff are there um, they kid- do
1: they do group therapies for kids, yeah,
0: outside of the mental health facilities, oh yeah. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, like day treatments, they do day treatments and stuff like that, um, for kids. So that's helpful. I'm sure that's helpful. We had day treatments and partial programs.
0: I'm saying, like, is there? But can any kid just walk in and, and go to that though?
1: I mean, referrals and that's all that. that's what yeah. I'm saying
0: is like for adults, like they can just make their own little groups, that's or a true. volunteer can, yeah. you know, support groups for you know veterans or like stuff like that. Like people can just make that group whereas kids can't really can't really do that yeah
1: they can't make appointment you know yeah
0: they also don't have the there are survival tools that I feel like help in understanding certain things you know going through having a job going through raising kids there's there's certain things in your life that you even if you don't have a, a grasp on mental health there are parallels that you can compare things to and in your understanding of like oh that's why I didn't want to go to work that day and it's you know that like
1: like now I can tell like oh I'm getting really anxious because I know this is about to happen like as a kid with all my stomach problems it just was there and I thought like I didn't I couldn't figure it out but now as an adult like when I'm not feeling good it's because I know like I'm really anxious or overwhelmed about something and it's kind of honestly eaten my insides out because i'm so stressed yeah but as a child you don't understand that these all those big emotions i did i used that wording a lot when i worked with kids big emotions big emotions you're feeling all these big emotions inside that you can't figure out and it's hard for you um kids have a really hard time identifying anxiety so talk i used the word worry a lot you feel a lot of worry um but as an adult you i can know that i can identify yeah this is some anxiety kicking in
0: yeah i mean people with that don't have anxiety say this gives me anxiety yeah yeah speaking of like people using different terms that don't nec- don't actually apply to them um why do you think people say i'm i'm going manic or i had a manic episode just because they bought like a nice bike or like you know what i mean like we hear people say that I I'm going manic, but they're they don't have they don't actually it's a, have just any a diagnosis. Term that
1: people they hear and they use it as a they don't understand it. They don't understand what true mania is. I think if this is this whole breaking that stigma if we talked about what true mania is, I don't think people would say oh, I'm manic right now, because true mania is, you know, people get hospitalized for that. You know, they're spending lots of money, they're putting themselves in risky situations, they're not sleeping. It's not that they don't want to sleep, they don't have the desire to sleep, so they stay up and they pace and they're, you know, hyperverbal and they ha- I mean everyone's mania looks a little different, but I think people feel when they have that high for, and people can just have that euphoria. You can feel euphoric, but nas- mania is not just like a I was feeling like really euphoric so I went and bought this. Oh, yeah. You know, mania is like they're like that and they're going and buying multiple things and then they're putting themselves in situations they necessarily shouldn't or
0: well and i don't think that they understand like they assume that like these people like like we just feel happy for a day and then that's it
1: yeah and
0: they don't realize that there's a swing coming yeah it's a crash do you remember what that what, what is that that process of because your, your brain creates, what is it, serotonin and endorphins?
1: Well, you have dopamine, too.
0: Dopamine. So if you get an influx of that, there's something in your biology that tries to balance that out. Yeah. To bring it back to, like, an even keel. Do you know?
1: I can't remember. Yeah. Exactly the... But. But then, yeah, people have that crash where they're depressed and they don't get out of bed for days. But people use the, I'm bipolar. Because they have, you know, the alternating moods where they're feeling happy today and sad tomorrow. But that's just, that's mood change is not necessarily bipolar, like true yeah. bipolar. I mean, you do have those mood swings, but they're very high or very low, yeah. you know. But I think it's just terminology that people have learned. So then they just use it without understanding the, and I don't think they mean it in hurtful ways. It's just the lack no. of understanding.
0: Yeah. Yeah um working in uh a because you've worked in a few different like yeah. types of
1: so i worked inpatient child and adolescent um and then i worked outpatient with adults with severe persistent mental illnesses um and then did assessments in emergency room and now i'm a mid unit type of nurse so, yeah, four different settings.
0: And I was going to say, so of those settings, it seemed like you were always kind of gravitating more towards the, the you know, the the very, the, the... Crisis. The front line, yeah, 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 the crisis, the crisis side of things. Because even when you were doing the other stuff, I felt like I was always hearing you talk about how you needed to know the beginning stuff and people weren't properly like giving all the information as to why they came in and, you know, what happened when they came in and, and stuff like that. So it seemed like you, that information seemed to be the most important to you because um, that's where you're going to get the most, I I would imagine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The presenting factors. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I thrive in crisis. I think my life has been crisis. So my entire life has been crisis. Um, always something happening and having to figure things out and try and get to my baseline during a crisis situation. So I think that's why in work I thrive in crisis situations because that's where my body's used to living. So I think that's why I like working with that because I feel like I'm like, this is where I feel even.
0: Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. No. Yeah. That makes sense. It's just an interesting place to live, to be like, you know, to, to be, like, aware of the fact that you have, you know, anxiety and can have panic attacks and things, but at the same time, this is the place you want to live. I know. You know what I so mean? So
1: messed up. But I feel like It's like a so- comfort, because I don't know... When I worked in the clinic, I was bored. And mm-hmm. it's not... I loved my, the patients I worked with. I loved the setting. I was bored. These patients were not necessarily where they needed to be we were focusing on their medical cares and not so much their mental health but we set them up with mental health providers and all that if they needed it i was just like these people aren't in crisis they're they have all these things set up and we're helping them set up but they weren't in that setting where they needed more like way more um But then what's like when I went to the emergency room, it was like, you're in that crisis situation and you have to figure things out quick. And that's Uh, where I thrive is like trying to figure things out quickly. And what resources can I give this person in this amount of time?
0: It makes sense why you like math because. Because
1: you have to think quick. Yeah, you have to
0: think quickly or I mean, it's assumed that, that, you know, you've got one, two, three, you know or like step one step two step three and then you've got your thing yeah and in problem solving with life it's not always that cut and dry but I would imagine in in those crisis situations you do kind of have um what's the word I'm looking for um you have like a time limit as to like the first like or critical you have like a critical time frame of things that need to be uh, figured out and understood. And because you only get them, like how long would somebody be in the ER for?
1: It really depends. That's, that's a tough question because there's a lot of factors that go into why someone's there for a period of time.
0: If somebody came in for nonviolent mental health, um, and they don't necessarily seem like they're in immediate danger to themselves or anybody else, would they get the same amount of, would you get the same amount of time with them?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I tried to spend as much time with everybody as I could, but there's different factors that go into each of those people. You know, I'm thinking what what kind of, Resources do each of these people need if they're a danger to themselves or others? They're likely going to need inpatient mental health if if we can't, you know, if they're unable to remain safe or keep other people safe. That's easy. Those ones that are not necessarily in immediate danger, well, where are they at? Is it their anxiety is unmanageable? Is their depression out of control where they're not getting out of bed? They're not eating anymore? They're not showering? They're not taking care of themselves? But that, there's just so many factors. So, trying to spend as much time with them to get everything mm. answered where I can come up with a plan with the provider that is what's going to help that patient.
0: Uh, when family members are or were present, did that seem more of a help or did that make things more difficult?
1: Gosh. Both. I've had difficult parent, like family members. I've had family members that provided that that right amount of information where it made a difference in that plan of care. Cause you would see patients that are not necessarily telling the whole story. You know, they just had a loaded gun at home and now there's significant others here telling us, I just had to have the loaded gun taken out of the house. I didn't know about that gun. So-and-so didn't tell me about that, Mm. you know, stuff like that where there's, the lethal means that someone else brings up that, you know, that person didn't necessarily tell you about. But then you also have family members where this person, or I've had a lot of he should, said, she said things happen where it's like, none of that happened was true. But this person was telling me all these lies to try and get this person hospitalized. Mm. So it's, but the thing is, is that collateral information is can be the deciding factor
0: what is wh-
1: the collateral? So the information from you know another person, a loved one, or oh. friend, or family, or whatever that can make a huge that can be a turning point in this person's care. But sometimes it's like they can be difficult dealing with. Well, it yeah, that's
0: and so that's what I was curious about is if like the majority of the time, or I shouldn't say majority of the time, but did you see more of? It helpful A uh, hinder that it was helpful Um, uh,
1: no it, it's hard it was, to say. It was, it was like 50 50 okay most of the time it was helpful I think people truly care about other people and they would tell the truth or t- tell you things that someone was hiding
0: so what what are the the key things that that a family member could bring to the table like in a perfect world like if you Had a family member come in and you were to say, I need to know these things. Do you know the answer? You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: What's been going on? Have you noticed a change in their behaviors over the past month, couple months? Um, Lethal means. Like what in the home do you have? Do they have access to medications? What has been helpful for them in the past? Have they been hospitalized before in the past? Those type of things are the questions I like to ask. Um, because changes in behavior is a huge thing, especially someone that you live with when you notice those changes in a past history of suicide attempts is huge too. Um, and even if we're not talking about suicide, even just changes in behavior overall.
0: Adjustments in routine yeah. and yep. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I was curious about that because I know, I mean like doctors and things like that, they they want to know like two or three things and everything else is just oversharing. And
1: I don't think I ever felt like someone was oversharing.
0: And that's, that's what's interesting is like in mental health, it's not necessarily that the, like the more. I get what you're saying though.
1: Like I, when I've brought my mom to the ER for things and it's like, they just want to know these two things, but it's like, I feel like all these other things are just as important as those two things. And you're not listening to me say all these other things. I get it. You know, it's well, and a, that's
0: what I was going to say. It was interesting is like in in the mental health field, like more information typically is better. Yeah.
1: How are you eating? How are you sleeping? You know, have you lost interest in things that, oh, they stopped play, stop playing, they stopped playing in, you know, band? They stopped, you know, they used to really like to do this one activity. And now they quit for no reason or they quit their job that they really liked. Like, there's so many things that you're like, I, are, kind of warning signs to me that kind of stick up, but, but they're not just two things. It could be multiple things.
0: So when somebody leaves a mental health facility mm-hmm. and, or, or let me bring that back. So somebody goes to the ER, um, they meet the criteria and you have the availability to bed them um, on the adult mental health unit or the children's unit. Um, are are you checking in on that at all
1: there have been cases that have been interesting where i'll follow up with the psychiatrist later like when i run into them and ask them like hey how was so and so and all that um while they were on the unit but no because there's like that hipaa so i can't just go into someone's chart even like I okay just,
0: uh, well yeah. i was just curious cuz i didn't know if like so it's not a part of your job description no to be okay no so is like, is the psychiatrist really, like, the only person that kind of gets that full 360? Like, do do we have this, like, XYZ? Or do, like, do social workers?
1: Yeah, the psychotherapists. The staff. All the staff know the patient's story and kind of what brings them in. And they're all a part of the treatment team. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, what you see is they did go to this unit mm-hmm. they did okay okay, okay yeah okay. yeah okay so what um, Where well,
1: that's hard too because it's like then you don't see the outcome right so that was like it went from i worked in the situation you know worked in the inpatient unit where we got them after immediate crisis so immediate crisis happens in the er we get them and then we get them to their next step which it, it could be home a residential facility all that so I got to see a little bit of an outcome. Then I went to the clinic where it was, oh, okay. Then I went to the ER where it was like, yep, crisis. And then it was like, don't know. I hope they're doing well. I hope that their stay wherever they went, went well. Or when I sent them home with that appointment, they showed up and they're doing okay. You know, it's a lot of that. You don't, But you don't get to see that end result all the time. So one thing that I did after you left is I've reached out to those providers. You know, I reached out to the psychiatric provider that you worked with and I reached out to the uh, chemical dependency. What?
0: You talked to my. Oh. I know.
1: And I reached <laughs> out to the chemical dependency um, pr- counselor that you met with and just let them know how well you're doing because mental health is so hard because you never know how people are doing. You only hear the bad things. Right. And that sucks. It's like we're constantly surrounded by the bad things. It's like. But I would remember when I would work inpatient, when we, we would get a letter from a kid months later and they were telling you how well they're doing and all this, like that was what kept me going. That one letter every couple months was like, all right, I am making a difference. It doesn't feel like it every day. um. So that's why I felt like it was important to share that because we, we don't hear it enough. We hope it's happening. Mental health is so hard.
0: Yeah, uh, I guess. So yeah, that's a kind of what I've been curious about. And maybe that's another aspect of the codependent side of me to think about like, um, cause I always try in every job that I've ever had, when somebody starts to talk about, um, the customers or the patients or whatever, talk about them as though it's like a chore or like a, an aspect of like, like, can you go mop the floor? shouldn't have the same tone as, can you go check on room 20 whatever? Yeah. You know what I mean? So like my brain latches onto that in making sure that these people that no, you never forget that that's a human being yeah. and that they're going off to continue to be a human being after this. So maybe that's why I am so curious about the like who has eyes on the person to see i
1: think and i'm not saying this just because of where i think i have i am blessed with the people i've always worked with
0: are you hashtag blessed hashtag blessed oh my god
1: i think i have always been surrounded with people who are so passionate about mental health i was worried when i went into mental health because you can get hired in it pretty easily because a lot of people are afraid to work in mental health. However, it's everywhere you go. It's on every unit you work on. It is there. One in four people have a mental health diagnosis, you know? Um, so working in I'm like, okay, it's going to be all these new nurses getting out of nursing school, just wanting to get that six months of experience, and then they're going to move mm-hmm. on. I ha- Everywhere I've worked, the people I've worked with are so passionate about mental health because... And obviously we don't share the stories with patients, but amongst each other, we talk about our stories, our experiences, our family experiences. You know, I think that lived experience that we've all had puts our passion into mental health. And that makes like, we don't look at patients like a number. Like, yep, I'm going to go check on room 19 right now. It was like, I'm going to go check on so-and-so. Everyone had a name.
0: There you go. Yeah, that's and that's what I was getting to is like, yeah. the it, And I get that it can be... Because it's so draining sometimes, like because you're not getting the results you want or they're not making the progress that you wish they did, it can, it can start to wear you down. And so you do start to go, all right, well, we got to change the garbage cans. We got to, yeah. you know, bop bop, that whole thing. And
1: I felt like in the nursing home, too, it was different. Because it was like, yep, we got to go do this in this room. We got to, you know, use you were moving room to room to room to room. And all the pa- residents had names. We knew them because we had them for a long time. Oh, sure. But it became like that chore, like, oh, yep, yep. Whereas it didn't feel that way coming into mental health.
0: Are there any, uh, like, instances that you remember working in a nursing home that helped you in, in what you do now?
1: Patients just being a patient person yeah
0: oh oh patience like in general. just
1: being patient yeah um because especially working memory care like you have to have patience with those residents um and i think that was what kind of framed me in having patients now it's you're listening to these psychotic patients just rambling about things that you know make no sense but my dementia patients also talk about cows under the bed and they're going to go milk these cows which is not real but this person's delusions of the government spying on them is so real to them and this resident's cows being under the bed is so real to them you don't tell them that it's not real you listen you actively listen and you don't you know you try and you don't argue you just listen and be there be present I think that's one thing I learned, too. I'm not trying to compare the diagnoses because they're different. But however, in their world, that is so real to them.
0: Right. I was going to say the sentiment is that it doesn't matter if it's real or not, because in that moment, their behavior is showing that it is real. At least in this little chunk of time, it's it's real. It's happening um, in their mind. Because Mm -hmm. if something... I mean... Dreams and nightmares aren't really happening. But when you're in them, you can't tell the difference.
1: I think another thing, too, and I didn't talk about this earlier, is what helped, too, is when I was trying to figure myself out, I read a lot of memoirs of people with mental health, lots of family members of people who lost somebody or family members or people themselves writing these memoirs about their mental health. I read tons of books. Mm. about mental health to try and understand like the family side of things and then the patient side of things so I could understand the whole I mean I was a patient for a brief period of time so I kind of understood that but wanted to understand like the family side because my mom like trying to feel how my mom felt when I was locked away from her trying to get all that so just learning as much as I could about all these different diagnoses and then putting myself into school and trying to learn even more about it
0: yeah. I mean, it, it, that made me think of like, there's gotta be a book of somebody with early onset dementia being like, I'm going to document yeah, where wonder. the, the, you know, as much as I can until I can't anymore. And to it'd be interesting to see what that, you know, if if they were like, when I can't do this anymore, I need you to kind of show yeah. people what, what was going on. Yeah. It's an interesting thought. I mean, and dementia and Alzheimer's is another one, like we were talking about stuff. with bipolar and stuff. <clears throat> People not understanding, like thinking that it's just a forgetful thing. But it's forgetfulness to the point to where you're wetting yourself, to the point yeah. to where you don't know how to get home anymore. You can't
1: put your clothes on anymore. Sometimes you can't stand. You can't, You. there's just like normal activities of daily living you don't know how to do anymore. You can't put your shoes on anymore. You can't. Like you just forget all these things, and it's sad. Like, yeah, they're forgetting family members, but then, yeah, you forget how to go to the bathroom. You forget how to walk.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's I,
1: a debilitating disease, and it's awful.
0: Yeah, the 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 stuff that people find like in, endearing or quirky is just yeah. The
1: cows into the bed <coughs> thing. I go back to that.
0: That, but I mean, when when they think about it, like that's that's the beginning of the end of like a pretty. Horrible way to go. So it's it's yeah. I, I it's so weird to think about like because obviously I have like a darker sense of humor and I laugh at things that are messed up. But oh, like yeah. but, it's also with the understanding of what that situation actually is.
1: Yeah. Well, especially people who work in mental health, we have pretty dark humor because that's how we survive. We
0: yeah
1: have to have some type of humor to be able to like go home at night and be like okay. I'm gonna come back tomorrow and.
0: Well, it's. I mean, I think that dark humor among coworkers is really just a way of saying that was fucked up, wasn't it? And then the other person, you know, laughing or agreeing, like you're just. It's it's just like a really.
1: It's how we cope.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a fun way of of being like, can't believe we had to do that or that we got out of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been like that for ages and ages and ages. Like people who go through or are associated with like traumatic things, the if you don't find a way to to incorporate some type of humor, like whether it's inside stuff like with you and your coworkers or maybe on a broad scale, but if you don't find some way to do that, then it just sits and any time yeah. that it comes up, it becomes more negative and yeah and so no matter how much you try to bury it down there's always going to be some some random thing that you never think of that would come up and then make it that yeah. all that crap resurface and a
1: lot of like my co-workers we have different experience work in mental health some people obviously came from different facilities and we like to talk about like the experiences we had And we do a lot of like, holy crap, that is, how did you survive? Like, but it's learning experiences and we share it with like newer, like these are things that we've learned from these experiences to try and provide the best care.
0: It also is actually a good way of like not feeling like you're alone in that struggle. Like you're genuinely being like, that happened to you, this happened to me. So whatever we're going to do next, we know that you know we got we each got other's each other. back yeah 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 for sure um your understanding of trauma bonding <laughs> is it a negative thing
1: it can be oh yeah
0: so so for people who don't know what would how would you describe what trauma bonding is well, cuz the dark humor thing is like almost like bordering yeah i would say right
1: i think like earlier relationship, we trauma bonded over our past crap relationships. And mm-hmm. it wasn't healthy the way we trauma bonded. We're like, yeah, I experienced I mean, I,
0: all of my relationships are healthy, so I don't know what.
1: Oh, okay. And then you would so. talk about <laughs> yours and we're like, ah, and then we also did not have a very healthy relationship. Right. Because it was formed on unhealthy past relationship bonding.
0: Ah, okay. So it's, it's finding that common ground without any like intention of making things better yeah yeah so it's yeah 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 i yeah. got you so if you are going to do that like if you it's find okay
1: to share experience and obviously there are people that are going to have similar experiences to you but then like that relying on that other person to make you feel better about that situation knowing that they already went through it that bonding part with the trauma it's just it can be an unhealthy relationship in itself
0: yeah well i mean that whole like you're the only person that would understand Mm -hmm. because
1: you went through it too and everyone's lived experience is different yeah like my anxiety is not the same as that person's anxiety you know that that person i can function with high anxiety i do it every day like when i fill out my anxiety questionnaire and then i go to my annual physical and i have to tell my provider like i'm fine doesn't look good on paper but i function like this this is my baseline but joe next door if he was at my anxiety level he'd be in the hospital
0: yeah it's yeah. it's interesting yeah. um medication wow it's such a tough thing i mean we, we have so many people, I say we obviously are, we's Friendly. are very different, but, um, we hear it all the time, which is I'm getting off my meds soon because I don't feel like myself. Yeah. And it seems like in most cases that person isn't seeing, isn't doing therapy, isn't doing anything beyond taking the meds. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that that
1: because we live in a world where we want the quick fix therapy takes time it's an hour a week Mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't have that time I mean now things are more convenient you know online things or all that now a lot of things are virtual so you can do it from home but like if I were to do therapy I work Monday through Friday 8 to 5 how am I going to find a therapist after 5 p.m. So yeah I'm going to take meds because that's going to be the thing that's going to work quicker. Even though that you know obviously takes time, it's hard. Um, I don't know. Well, I mean, and
0: I what I more what I mean is like why why does it seem like the um, people take meds and they say I don't feel like myself?
1: I don't know. That's a good question. You know what I mean? I think, but how do you know what yourself is?
0: Exactly. That's what I was gonna say. Is like, is it is it really people? have gotten so used to the chaos or mm-hmm. the panic that they just don't really re- recall what.
1: And it's funny you say that. Cause when I'm like even keeled and like super relaxed, then I don't feel like myself, mm. even though that's probably what like being on anxiety meds would do is put me back more than I'd feel uncomfortable. And then I wouldn't feel like myself.
0: You know what? That actually makes one of your habits make more sense. Because rather than just having like a chill day, because I don't say, you know, I I relaxed today. I don't say like I, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I don't necessarily announce those things, but you'll say, I'm lazy today. I'm this, like when you're not, if you're not going to do a thing or if you decided not to do something, for some reason you have to say, like, it's almost like rather than just accepting that i i I felt better or i felt less anxious sitting down and reading a book so i just i read a book you know what i mean like it feels like you're you're always throwing some type of like mood or something to the thing rather than just just relax it's fine you don't have to explain anything to you
1: say that because i just read a book the other day a whole book and i I was done probably by two 30 and I was like, oh my gosh, I just wasted the whole day. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then it threw me back into this freaking anxiety loop of like, I, yeah, I felt great. Cause I could escape my world for just a little bit and just like sit around and do nothing and not worry. And then once that was like, that distraction was gone, it was like, holy crap. I just wasted the whole day and I don't have much time and I need to do this and this and this. And then it just, I think that's why, because then I get overly anxious after that. Mm. Because I feel like I need to get all these things done all the time.
0: Yeah, and when you see people not doing those things, your brain is like, "How could they?" Mm -hmm. There's Mm fifteen thousand things to do right now. How could they be so calm and relaxed?
1: I hate that. Like yesterday, (laughs) it didn't. I was so anxious because I'm like. Washer and dryer come Thursday. We need to finish the laundry room. We got to get that counter off. I really want to work out. I need to do this. I need to do that. And it's going to get dark soon. And when it gets dark, then I get thrown in a funk because it's Sunday. And it was just like, I started spiraling. It started spiraling at probably about two. And I could feel it just circling, 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 circling. And it wasn't going to get better. And that's when I start feeling sick and not feeling so good and don't want to do anything.
0: Well, and I think that's why you, you point it out to people too, is the fact, because how do you convey how... Much real estate this feeling is taking up in your brain, and you got you guys all look fine
1: it's yeah like, doesn't anybody that. do
0: anything around this house yeah. It's really because you're like i how in the world am I going to get all this stuff done i'm understanding you better now
1: oh, I'm glad it just took fifteen sixteen years for you to figure me out
0: i'm only twenty eight mm. ironically, like that is the perfect mentality in a crisis situation because you're able to do the checklist. Mm -hmm. Whereas other people don't know what the fuck they're doing and are looking around like, Oh, we need a, I don't know, a towel. Somebody, somebody called 911 on that towel over there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Whereas is you, because you have your, your brain when you get anxious and you feel like the day's been wasted or whatever, you start to see like an actual list and you move through that thing in not necessarily in complete order, but pretty close to complete order. Or I should say, into your type of order. Like the way that you would start cleaning the house is not the same way that I would start. <laughs> like you have a specific way that you like to move through things. Yeah. So, yeah, in those crisis situations, I would imagine that makes more sense why you thrive in those situations. That's what I'm trying to say.
1: Well, hell, we figured myself out. Mic drop.
0: Did, in, early on in, uh, like, when you're going to school and when you're going through things, did you find yourself diagnosing people?
1: Oh, yeah. Even before I went to school. Because um, I took psychology in high school, and that's when I started reading things about mental mm. health. So I started diagnosing people pretty early. And then I took abnormal psychology. I took that um in my associate's degree and man, I diagnosed everybody. And I think I have a pretty I can figure people out pretty well. I legally can't diagnose. I'm not a provider. Obviously. But I think I can get a pretty good read on people now after being around a lot of things. You start to know.
0: Well, I've, it's it's funny too like because well, I mean, initially it was like my concept of mental health was just depression and anxiety and, yeah. and things like that. And then, with being admitted, then I started because I literally lived with these people who had genuine diagnosis um, for you know x amount of days. And then, you know, so what? I've spent thirteen days altogether, so almost a full two weeks. Mm-hmm. Of time uh, spent on these on these units, um, and then in treatment, I was there for twenty six days. Yeah, and that, so it's not going to school. It's like sun up, sun down. That's mm-hmm. I'm around it for that whole time. So I like really got immersed in all of that. Yeah, and after the after like getting out of treatment, I I noticed that like my sense of what somebody's actual mental issue probably is Mm -hmm. has become more aligned with yours. Like, um, there was a situation at the tattoo shop. Somebody was describing the mannerisms and the speech that this person had that was in the day before. And, we didn't say it at the same time, but mentally like we looked at each other and it was like, dude's bipolar for sure. Or potentially schizophrenic or, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So like, it's interesting now to like, kind of see where it's probably yeah. leading to.
1: I think too, it's like my, and it's all my experience, like all of the different people I've been around, like, I've got it down to a science where working with adults with persistent.
0: It's just all day with the Cyber Monday stuff.
1: Oh, I working with adults with severe and persistent mental illness. You know, a lot of them have schizophrenia um, and they're middle aged or even older. And they have a it's so hard to describe, but um, I took care of a patient one time
0: Real quick, are you allowed to say this stuff? Like, I don't, I don't know where HIPAA oh, starts and ends yeah. when you say so, I had this experience with a patient.
1: Yeah, maybe not take take it out. Yeah, no. yeah. But once you've had like experience with certain people, you can diagnose. Like walking, like walking in stores, and you see mannerisms and behaviors of people. And you've have had this lived experience. You can kind of know what people have going on. It's a different type, and then you have this different type of empathy too.
0: It's interesting. Like it starts to become apparent in the way that they walk or sit, even. Yes. Which is really all weird. mannerisms. Yes. Is is really like, uh, if somebody is has a uh is. I don't even know how you describe being further on the spectrum or like, like is the spectrum a circle or like what, what it, I don't, do you know I, what I mean? Like,
1: I don't know. This is so funny. I look at the spectrum, like a rainbow, like here. Yeah. Right. It's kind like of it's a, like a, yeah.
0: So, I mean, depending on how, where they're at, uh, I, I like to look at it as like a circle for okay, some reason. So like the further that they get in on this spiral, I feel like that's when you start to notice like they're standing like this, they're sitting like this and oh yeah, yeah, the hand stuff, yep. hand stuff, um, the ticks, mm-hmm. but even, even before that, like I, like I said, like the, there's this first, this first hint in either the way that they walk or the way that they, they sit they even look. Yeah, because I mean... I, I
1: mean, not, not, not physical, but like the way they look at you.
0: The body language. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so because I see clients in now mm-hmm. every day and mm-hmm. I, I watch them walk in and I watch them sit down because they have to wait for a thing and how they handle that waiting period. It's It's interesting to be like, that person is anxious as fuck. That person mm-hmm. has ADHD because they're all over the place. Yeah.
1: One thing I noticed, I was at Target one day and this guy parked next to me and he got out and he touched every door on his car. Mm. He touched his trunk. He walked into the store and then the way he was interacting with customers, I was like, ah, oh. like I could just read. He has rituals.
0: Yeah. The OCD thing, I didn't realize the that OCD itself has its own spectrum of like reasons why for oh, OCD. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, uh, Howie Mandel and uh, you actually should watch that one with um, Rick Glassman on his podcast, the dude with the glasses and the curly hair. Okay. Um, yeah, he did a podcast with Howie Mandel and they both have OCD. Mm. And uh, Rick is on the spectrum. Howie has ADHD mm. and he really dove in on understanding like ADHD as much as possible. Yeah. So they describe these things in like, uh, how he is describing this thing that he did because of ADHD. And Rick said, um, that actually sounds, it lends itself to the OCD thing because you're controlling the situation. Mm-hmm. So like, there the certain types of OCD where the reason why they're doing these things in order or that they're, it's their way of controlling the situation mm-hmm. because if they don't do these things in Something this certain order, the, well, they just don't have, they don't have control over the outcome. Yeah. So it's interesting. I never thought about it in that way mm-hmm. that like you, you're losing power over your, what feels like your own life mm-hmm. and, and the things that could happen in your life is. Yeah. I always associated it with, it's a tick that you can't really control. So yeah. your brain just goes, touch it again, touch it one more time. I didn't know that there was like a genuine reasoning or rational, a rationale for how this is going to help your life. It's going to help your day. Mm. It's just fascinating yeah, to me.
1: I've, I've seen things too, where people with OCD, they do certain things because the fear of them not doing it may cause harm to family members or something bad's going to happen if they don't continuously do this. Cause they don't know what it's like not to keep doing the thing that they've been doing. Uh,
0: does it, do, I don't know how many individuals you work with that have had OCD, but like, does it seem like OCD is usually associated with a, a, a different mental uh, health?
1: No, no, I've seen it with anxiety, PTSD. I'm,
0: You know what I mean? Like, is it usually married? Like, does anybody just have OCD? I feel like I'm always hearing it in merriment with something else.
1: That's a good question. Not, I don't think that not anyone that I've seen personally. I feel like anxiety comes a lot with that because obviously the anxiety of if I don't do it, something's going to happen. Or, like, a traumatic experience happens, so then I do this all the time because, yeah. That's a good... No. I mean, I haven't worked with tons and tons of people who have, like, severe OCD. Um, Maybe we, you know, discover it after um, a person's been with us for a period. And then we see these rituals, and then we're able to identify it. But, yeah.
0: And, I mean, that one... That one's interesting because how do you how do you adjust your survival skills? Like to them, this is this is how how you survive. survive. Yeah, like that would be Um, so. That's how
1: they do the. Gosh, I can't even think of it. My brain's done.
0: The
1: immersive therapy. where they like immerse. EBT. EBT. That's like a food stamps. Yeah. But they immerse like things. EMDR? In... No, that's the I rapid movement. That's for PTSD and trauma.
0: That's what EMDR is?
1: Yeah. It's not a news station. It's
0: there's a... an acronym for the I We'll be right back with a word from our sponsors.
1: Immersion, is that what we're thinking? Oh. Yeah. ERP, not EBT. It's exposure and response prevention. No. And c- CBD, con- con- cognitive behavioral therapy, to ch- re- change the way your brain processes something. Oh, okay. I'm not a therapist. I don't do those things.
0: That's going to drive me nuts. I'm sure whoever's listening has already looked it up and they figured it out, yeah. but I'm going to have to All look right. it up after the show because we've got things to talk about.
1: Really? We still got things to talk about? Okay.
0: You don't like me sitting and listening to you?
1: No, but those dogs keep staring at me.
0: You can open the door if you want to.
1: It's fine. I don't need dog therapy.
0: Um speaking of dog therapy, that was something interesting, like kind of a side note for folks. This is just like a fun fact. Um the uh the the Oh my god. Endorphins? Is that yeah. is that the love juice?
1: Oxytocin.
0: Oxytocin, there we go. So finding out that dogs have oxytocin levels and that they match ours is, was super fascinating. Yeah. And so when a dog looks at you or you make eye contact with a, like a dog that knows you or you make eye contact with a friendly dog and don't show your teeth, um, then it immediately starts to and. In- increase its oxytocin levels was fascinating. So, like, when you see their tail wagging, oh, that's what it is. They're winding up their oxytocin levels.
1: Oh. And then barley doesn't have any because he has no tail. (laughs) She's just staring at me. But that's fascinating. Like,
0: I wonder if there's... So, uh, yeah, I wonder if that's why... We, you know, there's animals introduced into the process of helping individuals who are in like rough situations. So like when I was on the adult mental health unit, there was, they had pet day where, you know, they'd bring in a dog or a cat or whatever. And, um, when I, even when I was in treatment, there were two dogs, what are they? Labradoodles?
1: Yeah. Golden doodles. Golden doodles.
0: There we go. Either way, fun to say. Golden Doodle, golden doodle, dolly holiday. But the yeah. the the concept that how can you be upset when you see that this animal is visibly happy?
1: Yeah. You can't be.
0: Nobody can sit my when you sit poppy. No. Oh, you don't know that movie. No. Um
1: Is it from The Matrix? <laughs>
0: no, it's from Almost Heroes. Oh. Um, there's these guys, these conquistadors that are about to kill Chris Farley and Matthew Perry. Hmm. And uh, they're like, they're going to cut their hands off. And they're like, we'll bring the heads of our enemies to our boss. But he asked if we could get you guys to smile first. He's tired of seeing the sad faces. Could you give us a smile? And they're like, no. And they're like, say poppy. Mm-hmm. Nobody can't smile when they say poppy. Yeah. And luckily somebody saves them before they have to say puppy. But again, there's for, it seems like a lot of people, the, the like the, there's a completely unbiased like response from this animal. It doesn't care what you're in there for. And so you know that there's like this dog is not, or this animal, whatever, is not judging you, and so you you're like letting your guard down because they're not going to ask you any questions either or anything like that.
1: <clears throat> she literally is scoo- scooched up to the door. She just open it.
0: Gwish in her face. Yeah, I can let her in. Yeah. Uh, why don't you speak on on how dogs helped you, uh, during your mental health uh times.
1: Well my dad and my mom we ha- didn't really have dogs.
0: You had two dogs you said that helped you
1: um well I had um hi yeah, these dogs are the best. Um I had some dogs in, when I was in school but they didn't last long. They had to go to the a real farm, not like the, What's a, okay. the farm. What Lily? Yes, Lily though. I bought her for myself when I, that's
0: that's what I mean yeah, I love dogs Lily. in your life not in your growing up but like oh, in yeah in, Lily yeah
1: um yeah I mean I had this boyfriend who was kind of a crap face
0: oh man he sounds terrible he was
1: terrible but she was there for me when he was being a poop head
0: didn't you have another dog after her Trixie Ava Ava
1: yeah, we don't talk about Ava. Eve! But she did help me a lot. When you were a poop head again.
0: I know, I suck.
1: Double poop head. So when you were a poop head, Lily helped. And then when you were a double poop head, <laughs> Ava was super helpful. I would cry. And I she was just, a double scoop? You are just such a poop. Um, you are like the poop after Thanksgiving dinner.
0: Oh, She's trying to bury into the blanket.
1: Yeah, she wants to live inside me. Um, but yeah, Ava was there when I cried myself to sleep. At night alone. <laughs> but they do. They have like a unbiased... There's something it's about... It's the, the innocence. Yeah. Like they don't... They just want to be there. They yeah. don't need to know what's happening. They just literally <laughs> want to be there for you. And the dogs were like that when you were gone. They could tell that something was off. Mm. And they just... They were just there.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting to like... The... That that like a human who can have like a, a, a an open dialogue with you mm-hmm. and try to do like problem solving can be such a turnoff, and like your body just doesn't want it at all. But a dog to squish their face Ooh. is like, oh, it's just the ultimate. Yeah. So it's funny that like yeah, there's there's something healing. It, it like calms that storm in your brain.
1: Yeah.
0: Like you know, watching full-grown adults like get down on the ground and crawl. Yeah,
1: with a dog. They
0: they are able to get you to release um a certain part of that <laughs> that problem that's that stress that's getting to you. Yeah. It's very interesting.
1: Animals are very interesting. I'd buddy. love to read more about animal therapies and stuff.
0: Yeah, for sure. I bet when Bar- I've got time. Barley would be a good therapy dog.
1: He would for sure. He'd just like lick somebody like crazy. I don't know.
0: Does de escalation ap- apply to yourself? You know what I mean? Like, can uh, Like, when you start to notice that something. Like you're getting anxious, or mm-hmm. you're getting overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, like are are those practices? What's what's the word I'm looking no, for? No,
1: you're right. De escalation. It is de escalation. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: Regulate. I, yeah. So
0: I, yeah, I don't know whether to ask about like the self help stuff, or when it comes to kind of relieving yourself of feeling like it's your job to ensure that somebody else's mental health is taken care of? Like, so that, that like... Well, it's
1: hard because it's literally my job.
0: I know, but that's your actual job. Friends, family...
1: I still feel like it's my job. Like, Mm. I... And I've said this to you. I feel like I... We all have a purpose. And I know... I think of things different than you and the, yeah, porpoise. I, it took me a long time to, I knew there are certain things I needed to do while I was here. Like I was sent here for a reason, not necessarily that there was a higher power that was like, you need to go do these things. But each person, like I had to figure out what my purpose is. My purpose is obviously being a wife and a mother, but my, Entire life, I have been here to serve others in various different areas, you know, as a friend. And then it was like with my parents trying to, you know, help with my mom. And then it was like, then my first job was working in a nursing home. I worked in a nursing home forever. So it was constantly serving others. So I feel like my purpose outside of my actual paid job is continues to be to serve others. I see. So when I know someone's not doing well with their mental health and I have a background in it, I feel like I have to be there to serve. You know, when we have a friend whose spouse is not doing well in their mental health, I feel like my purpose is to be there to serve and help because I
0: understand it.
1: Not that I know everybody's mental health and I know how to fix everything, but I just know how to be there and be a listening ear.
0: So... To get kind of dorky, in um, a lot of because I've obviously with Justin and, and other people, well Alex too, really most of my friends play some type of role playing game where you need like a navigator, you need uh, you need muscle, you need uh, somebody who cooks. I don't know, like they they make up these things where like if you're gonna go on a journey, then you need these types of people Mm -hmm. in your crew and a healer is one thing that's always needed. Mm -hmm. And so really it's not that the, that that individual knows exactly what they're going to be doing, but as they go along on their journey, they know that that's what they're going to be doing. Yeah. So, and then I'm, so the reason why I said that is because like in applying it to what you were saying is, it doesn't. Nec- it doesn't mean that you know everything, but you know that that's where your trajectory is always going to be yeah. aimed towards. It's always the journey that you would be going on forever until you become a cosmetologist and are working at Universal.
1: <laughs> no, I really just want to interview psycho, like. And psychoanalyze um, serial killers. Why
0: do you think you have such a fascination with...
1: Serial killers?
0: Yeah, all that stuff.
1: Gosh, I don't know. I think the older I get to the darker I get. Like, I really... It's such... Because I don't understand it.
0: Were you awake for the the dark tourist stuff? A little bit. Did you see the Jeffrey Dahmer thing?
1: No. Okay, I'll have to show you But I want to watch it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, like in the... (laughs) In the documentary about the dogs we were like their brains light up for this. It's like, oh, when I hear about serial killers, it's like my brain lights up. Like when I figured out, oh, my gosh, I can go visit um, Ted Bundy's VW Beetle in a museum. Like, that's all I think about now. I probably think about it at least twice a week. Like the fact that I could get on a plane and go visit this beetle. There's so many horrific things that happen with these people the freaking clown costumes are there and it's like all i think about is like these people it's because it's said
0: ed gein mm
1: -hmm. and it's like man i don't i think it's because i grew up watching horror movies and it was like they're so unrealistic and then my mom was really really into unsolved mysteries oh my gosh we'd watch it all the time so that's when that kind of started i know started cycling. You're an
0: old lady.
1: And then <laughs> my dad works in law enforcement.
0: Okay, And
1: so it's just like, it was just like this trickling thing and it's like I'm going to be a psychologist and work in the courthouse. Well then my dad squashed those dreams. So then I was like, I guess I'll work as a mental health nurse and help people. But it's like, I... I'm so fascinated with a serial killer's brain. I love watching interviews where they talk to people because it's like the way they talk, and I think it's like a part of that antisocial personality disorder. Mm. And look it up because it's not what you think it is. Everyone thinks it's like, oh, they're avoidant and all that. It's like, no, the actual diagnosis of antisocial is a lot of what serial killers are.
0: The weird thing is that why would it be named something like that? Like, why Why does know. it have that type of, like, um, title for something that appears to be... Because antisocial... So,
1: socially acceptable, right?
0: Okay. So peop- It's a bit of a stretch, but I but, get it. I mean, we could look I, I it I see where but it's going. That's but, where
1: I think that's, you know, it's socially acceptable to follow the law. Well, antisocial would be going against the law, mm. you know? Just such I
0: I yeah. If anything, they should call it anti establishment. And they could. because established laws, established blah Take take make anti social anti established again.
1: Yeah. I I wanna find out the history of why it's I mean it's while just you're a looking
0: history... that up, um so an interesting thing that I heard Uh, so if you haven't seen the dark tourist, it's this guy that goes on tours of like messed up or dangerous, uh, situations, histories, like he goes to Fukushima, which is an area that still has very high levels of radiation. Um, he's a part of a tour where they will reenact what it's like to try to go from Mexico to the US border which is terrifying. Yeah. So he does all kinds of crazy stuff. One of the things that he went on was yeah, this this um Jeffrey Dahmer uh tour and like you know went to the town and and talk, talked to a bunch of people. All that to say uh one of the big fans Which is weird to say about a serial killer, but they just know so much about it that like, I don't know what else to call it. So Jeffrey Dahmer fans is like, uh, one of the reasons why, because when they interviewed him and asked, do you enjoy hurting people? Do you enjoy killing people and all that stuff? He said, no, like he doesn't like it, but he didn't want them to leave. Mm, So he was actually Yes, so mm-hmm. abandonment issues and wildly codependent to the point that they won't be able to leave if mm-hmm. I kill them. So, like, chop them up and chop them up. So that was really interesting to learn about him. Is like,
1: yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer is an interesting. I mean, they all are, but.
0: So I mean, what? I mean, they all have to have some level of mental health. This is the interesting argument that you and I get into sometimes.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of them have trauma. If you hear their stories. Yeah. Some type of trauma occurred in their life. Abandonment. That makes sense.
0: But, like, being a bad person to the point of wanting to end people's lives... Like I don't think that there is a murderer out there that doesn't have some type of mental health issue because your goal in life is not to end other people's lives.
1: Some people are malicious and can just be malicious.
0: But there's... Because we're in a society where that's unacceptable. So something... A switch flips to where your brain says, no, no, it's perfectly acceptable. That guy was chewing too loud. Mm. So we have to end his life. So something, I, I feel like there's mental health stuff that is undiagnosed. Like, why does mental health have to be like something that that it's all in books, it's all in classes? Like, there's got to be a wider I feel like you could diagnose so many more things with new definitions. I feel like mm. because there are things that make sense in people's minds that do not to the majority of other people. Yeah. And it causes them um, struggle in conversations with people, in relationships, or whatever. And, but there's no outward anything else. So I I, I don't know. I I think about this a lot lately is to like people who say, um, I didn't have anxiety until I was older. And it's like, you had it the whole time. Yeah, It's just just, more
1: pronounced now. Yeah. and You're able to identify it. Like I had stomach issues when I was younger and then it's like, oh, it was because he... He had severe anxiety.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean, so the reason why I think about that is like, I feel like if people were able to more objectively have an answer to why they do certain things or why they feel certain ways, it would be easier to tackle that thing because rather than being this ominous mystery that you have no, like, I don't know why I feel this way. I don't know why I think this thing if you had this little you know p- people hate labels but w- once you get a diagnosis you are in you are in you control are of that diagnosis. thing yeah. well I'll, even if you I, I get that like why people say that but that's yours
1: yeah it's not yeah
0: it's nobody else's no so I feel like that's how people should be looking at it's like you're not an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic and that's okay. And, or you are not my alcoholism. That's what I should have said.
1: But you're drunk on
0: me all the time. Well, yeah, but you you know what I'm trying to say? Like, and because of that, it's on me to figure out what that means to me. Yeah. So if at some point in your life, you got diagnosed with a thing you probably don't hang out with the person that diagnosed you. You don't eat with the person that diagnosed you. You know what I mean? Like, you don't live with that person. You live with you. Mm-hmm. So, what does that diagnosis mean to you? And what would make you feel better about so having I hear that what diagnosis?
1: You're saying. And what I can say is that there's not to be able to diagnose everybody properly, we need more resources in mental health that we don't have. So write to your representatives and say that we need more resources for mental health. We need more funding into mental health because there are people sitting in ERs waiting for mental health beds that they're not getting because there, it's just, there's not enough beds out in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, look at, we go on the whole Britney Spears thing and her conservatorship. It's like, There are people that are misusing the mental health system or they're not, you know.
0: Well, I mean, there's what, 15 beds on the adult mental health unit? Give or take. And we know that one in how many people have some type of mental health? One
1: in four. I think it's more like one in three, but one in four, yeah.
0: And... So like the fact that there's only 15 beds.
1: This is what blows my mind, and I'm going to leave it at this, is that every hospital you go to in the state has a med surge unit. Every hospital you go to, a majority of them have emergency rooms. There are different levels of traumas that they can take care of. But everywhere you go, there are these certain units. How come every single hospital in the state does not have a mental health unit? Because if you're treating a whole person holistically, a whole person, if their mental health is not well, their physical health is not going to be well. How do you treat one and not the other? Yeah. That's, and, but this is like, are we just going to continue to have the stigma or is that there's not enough funding in mental health? Do insurance companies not reimbursed enough for mental health? Like, what is it? What, how can we... Have more resources in mental health, more mental health beds, more, you know, fund, pay mental health providers more money. I don't know if that's a problem. I don't actually, I personally do not know if that's it. But there are just things that's like, well, you know, I th- Minnesota, we're known for our great care, health care. However, they closed a bunch of the state hospitals down where a lot of people could benefit right now. You know, they want to get people back into the community. And I love that idea. There are certain resources where you can get people back in the community. You know, assertive community treatment teams. Mm -hmm. They get people working back in the community and they work close with these people. However, some people just can't function that way. so Or people are just constantly in and out of the ER and they're not getting what they need because there's just not resources.
0: Well, and I mean, I think...
1: But until one of those representatives have a family member that struggles with mental health and is not getting what they need, then they don't understand how horrible it is.
0: Well, and to your point about the state run hospitals getting shut down, the shitty thing is that the majority of the medical world or industry is like their businesses. Yeah. And because we unfortunately everybody kind of has that understanding um they're they're able to act in ways that a normal business would which is to say ERs med surge they have like an SOP like a lot of the stuff that comes in it's handled the same way mm-hmm. so they know where they can make money because we only need x amount of things, whereas with mental health, they're like anything could walk through that door, and we would have we don't know for sure that we have all of the things that we mm-hmm. need to make sure that we can help them, but they should that's where the problem is is where they should be saying, "Oh, why is it that we don't have everything that we need on this unit, and would things be better it I don't know, I mean." I don't
1: know. It's, we can go around about yeah. this. It's it's frustrating. Like we can even go on the chemical dependency side and be like, okay, why is insurance companies, why will they pay for someone's first day of the twenty eight days, and then after that they just decrease it? When it, why is the thir- why is the person's eighth stay not as important as their first day on a treatment at a treatment facility?
0: Well, yeah, and but beyond that, like, are there are there state run uh, treatment facilities in Minnesota?
1: I think there are different like insurance levels like certain places take certain insurances. I don't know I don't know a lot about CD treatment facilities. I'm
0: not aware I I've never heard of like the Minnesota dot da dot. Da, da.
1: Oh, yeah, no.
0: Everything seems to be created by a person yeah. or you know what I mean so like they're all they all just want to get the person out the door and a lot of them are jaded because to what you were saying they they see them over and over again and so what's the use even though that same person calls uh, addiction a disease there it goes back to that whole you know go mop the floor or go check on room 20 it's the same eventually they're it's the same yeah yep Guy's gonna come in. He'll be gone for three months, and then he'll be back. Like it just shouldn't be thought of that way. Yeah. And if that's how your job is going, then something needs to change about your job.
1: They need to because have- your
0: fail rate is
1: yeah. huge. Well, that and they need to have life experience or have a family member go through something. It really opens your eyes.
0: I think that's wildly important. The one person, oh, the one... The I can,
1: I'll, I'll be honest. I was a little jaded too about chemical dependency stuff until you went through and it's like completely opened my eyes. I mean, I wasn't treating people like, oh, this, oh, like that. Oh, yeah, no, no. But it's just like you have those thoughts like, oh, when's, when's their rock bottom you don't know. And then yeah. when you have a family member and it's like you potentially could lose them and it's and it wasn't just you, another family member. It's so scary. It's like holy crap. Yeah. And there's that a whole different stigma against chemical dependency because, you know, alcohol is so widely accepted. Oh yeah, my uncle he's an alcoholic. Like people make jokes about that shit.
0: Well, or they because it was such a private thing before, like, they would just find out that my mm-hmm. uncle went to treatment. Uh, he sleepaway seemed, camp. He seems fine now. Yeah. So, like, there was this concept that, like, you just, yeah, you go to sleepaway camp and then you come back and everything's fine. Yeah. And so they're just like, oh, so if you go to treatment, it works. But really. Yeah. And the majority of those people, the majority of those people, it probably wasn't that person's first or second time yeah not necessarily at treatment but at attempting because old school people would do the quick cold turkey thing right yeah statistically speaking it wasn't their first go-round with trying to be sober Sober. yeah and back to mental health i met one person who supposedly didn't have a mental health issue
1: the dual diagnosis the mental health chemical dependency What came first, the chicken or the egg?
0: Well, yeah. Uh, But I'm saying, like, I I feel like I'm more convinced that if you have one, you have the other. So you had a mental health issue that you were unaware of.
1: And you were masking it with some type of substance or whatever else. And now it's exasperated because of that substance. Yep,
0: yep, yep, yep. Yeah, because when I finally stopped... You know, or when I was removed from my, uh, my DOC, then all of the stuff, Department of Corrections, Services, um, when I was removed from that, all of the stuff that was able to be buried because of all the dopamine that I was throwing, uh, thrown into my system, my body was like, Oh, Hey bud, you forgot. There's like three or four things that we got to yeah, take Yeah, you, for,
1: you forgot what anxiety felt like.
0: Yeah, and so my body just freaked out.
1: And sleep gets weird.
0: Oh, yeah. So I mean, yeah, I, I Obviously I talk about addiction every single episode, so I apologize, but I mean, it's important. I think I think it um if if you think that those two things are exclusive they are way more related than people realize.
1: Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So I thought we were on the last lot. Now we just like made eight more thoughts.
0: I know it happened, but we can wrap it up with, with this.
1: Take care of yourself. Take care of your loved ones.
0: Another fun thing that we do on this show is, is, uh, share what meds we're on. What meds are you on?
1: I'm not on meds. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm super (laughs) sensitive to medications. I've tried. I can list all the meds I've tried. See, the
0: interesting thing is when we talked about how anxiety can cause stomach issues, I wonder if your brain goes, a foreign object is in our system. Let's worry about whether it's working or not.
1: Let's go back to whenever I tried birth control. Every time I tried birth control, I lost my mind.
0: That's what I'm saying, though. Like, I think they're I think the same thing. I think you're. Your subconscious goes, uh, we know that there's a thing and now you know too much. Yeah.
1: I also think maybe meds would be helpful. I mean, I when we were trying to sell our house, I was on hydroxyzine and it helped a lot. And some people make fun of hydroxyzine. It worked really well for me and I like it.
0: People make fun of hydroxyzine?
1: Well, I mean, it's essentially like a... I, I mean, because people know about all the benzodiazepines. Like, if I have anxiety, I should be taking Xanax, Ativan, oh, oh, oh. Valium. You know, all these other ones where it's like mm, you talk know about
0: what? how it's basically Benadryl.
1: Yeah, a little, I call it souped-up Benadryl. It's like yeah, yeah.
0: But I called it Benadryl first.
1: Okay. Anyways, that so was my like, joke. So you really tell ask people what meds they're on every yeah. episode? Oh. Okay. Because I'm on Wellbutrin
0: ones? and Lexapro.
1: You're Wellbutrin, Lexapro, Gabapentin.
0: Gabapentin. Melatonin. Melatonin. Claritin. Claritin. My choice,
1: my drug, my drug of choice is life.
0: oh You have a Peloton addiction.
1: I take Peloton.
0: Ask your doctor if Peloton is right for you today.
1: Who is your favorite instructor? Is that what people do is they just wink at cameras?
0: You, first, you have to say, where's my camera?
1: Where's my camera?
0: Where, where's my camera? And then you. No one can
1: see me on
0: that one, though. There isn't even a camera over there.
1: I know. I did notice, though, what help, helps is I get that, the, the release of, you know, that euphoric feeling when I exercise, and that's, like, that helps me kind of level a little bit.
0: Well, it's also a task. Yeah. Like, to go back to, like, yep, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep.
1: Check that off. Plus, my butt's getting big and my thighs are getting big. I got to work on that.
0: I so. mean, you're telling... Thick girl university over here.
1: That's my shirt, though. Huh? You thick girl.
0: I don't know. I went you lost
1: th- your thickness. <laughs> get down, get down, girl. You lost your thickness.
0: Yeah, I can't get down with a thickness anymore. Any hey, other remember advice? I used
1: to podcast all the time. Yeah. Okay. Any other advice?
0: Yeah. You can drop in any time. I would love, I mean, I just asked people if they want to do an episode where they can call in and ask questions and there's a, a solid response.
1: Um, Advice. I think I already gave enough advice, didn't I? Be kind to other people. That's like my main advice is you don't know what's going on in somebody's life. You don't know what their struggles are. Why I just want to live in a society where we're just kind. I'm so tired of reading comment sections on Facebook with how hateful and mean people are. Yeah. I just want people to be kind. My kids, I just want them to be kind, accept people for who they are, and listen to their stories. Sitting and having a conversation with someone, you'll learn so much about them just by listening and hearing their story. And that makes a person feel valued.
0: Oh, that was a... That's a, a point that I need to start reiterating into the show is validation is huge. Yeah. Validating somebody's feelings like you were, we were talking about with the um, dementia or delusions, like validating.
1: How scary that must feel. Yeah. I think I do that a lot, too, when people are feeling like someone's watching them. That's got to be scary. You just like validating that fear people have. And validating, you know, when you're feeling anxious or overwhelmed, like that's got to be
0: hard. That, not,
1: I, not that I understand. I think people, I, you, you don't know everybody's like.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Uh. Alex says, I uh, um, I haven't lived it, but I get it, yeah. which is a form of saying I, I'm, I would like to validate. Yeah. That I, um, uh. I empathize with what you're feeling. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I I know know
1: how it feels, but I can empathize. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So validation is, is, is it's a, it's a way of letting the other person know that you're not, that you are taking them seriously. Yeah. Or you're taking that situation seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I love you. I love you. And, uh, thank you for, for doing this. Thank and you for I would, me. again, I would love to have you back in here anytime you want. If there's ever a guest that you want to come and sit in with. Also, listeners, if you want to ask Kim Duke questions.
1: I am not a provider, though. Just know that I don't. I know medications, but I don't prescribe
0: meds. Yeah, I wasn't. Oh, okay. If you want to ask me a question. Yeah. Because you can always preface with, "I don't do, I can't diagnose. I can't do X Y Z. What I can say is, from what I've learned, from what I, you know, okay. da 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 da, gotcha. da da. I like it. Generalized mm-hmm. advice rather than yes diagnosis. Okay. Uh, thank you again, and to the listeners, be well to yourselves.